0: Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the league's marquee teams, the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm here with Nathan Smith. And Nathan, how are you today?
1: I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Definitely looking forward to uh, talking some Lakers basketball.
0: And let's get started with that discussion of Lakers basketball by talking quickly about their offseason and the biggest move of their offseason was the D'Angelo Russell trade. They sent off the number two pick from the 2015 draft, along with Timothy Mozgov's contract, for the number 27 overall pick in this past draft, who turned into current fan favorite Kyle Kuzma and former Nets favorite Brooke Lopez. So let's first start off by talking about Russell, who received a lot of hype from Lakers fans when they took him in the 2015 draft. But there were certainly some locker room incidents that led people to sour on Russell, even though I honestly find it hard to blame him for informing his teammates' fiance that he was cheating on her. But moving it back to basketball, do you think this was a lopsided trade in one direction or the other, or do you think this trade has the chance to be a win win?
1: You know, I do actually think that it's gonna be one of those rare win win trades. And D'Angelo's first couple of years he was kind of uh maybe not in the most ideal situation, having to deal with the whole uh the Kobe Farewell tour and then I did you know, want to see how uh, Russell and uh, Lonzo Ball would look on the court together, but um, I think it is for the best because we'll be able to get more usage, playing time, and really be the face of the franchise moving forward in Brooklyn. And then, I mean, when you talk about us getting Kyle Kuzma, I mean, can't complain with that as well as Brook Lopez.
0: The best asset that the Nets have, or rather had last summer, because they used up most of it in trades, was an incredible amount of cap space, and they effectively used up that capsace to acquire arguably the most promising young asset on their roster in Russell. And granted, the trade was made far enough in advance of the draft that the Nets probably weren't expecting Kyle Kuzma to be that pick, especially since Kuzma was often mocked into the second round in a lot of the pre-draft expectations. But the interesting thing for me about the trade is that Brook Lopez is the kind of player that can really help boost this Lakers team out of the bottom of the standings. And given that this is the last year with heavy taking incentives, you would think the Lakers want to be as bad as possible. But given their pick obligations, I guess it kind of makes sense for them to have a veteran presence in Lopez who can anchor the offense when some of the young guys aren't really with it.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Brook Lopez is, I mean, definitely um the veteran that they want to lean on um, when you have nights where Brandon Ingram or Lonzo Ball might be playing a little bit inconsistent or not having the shot fall um I think it's much better to center the offense around Lopez from a scoring standpoint instead of uh pouring all the pressure onto the young guys I think uh the KCP signing helped in the same way but I think Lopez was the more important one it's nice to see him uh come back home to uh just a little bit outside where he's from I think he grew up in North Hollywood and um I mean, he's really picked it up over the last few games. So I'm looking forward to what he can continue to offer.
0: Lopez did struggle to start the year. But the thing about Brook is that he's very, very difficult for any team to contain on the offensive end. And especially now that he's added a three-point shot, he fits in really well with this young Lakers team. He also was an incredibly important veteran mentor for the young Nets last season. And that's something that I definitely expect to continue in Los Angeles. On the defensive end, it's not as positive for Lopez, but the one thing that I can say about him on that end of the floor is that he always knows where he's supposed to be, and even if he doesn't always have the foot speed to get to where he's supposed to be, he at least makes the effort every time, and he's really sharp about rotations, and he's getting better in pick-and-roll coverage, and given the athleticism on this young team, I think having a veteran like Brooke who doesn't necessarily have the speed or vertical leaping ability of a Larry Nance, it's at least helpful to have that kind of player around in the locker room to show the young guys how to give full effort on defense because they're certainly going to be able to make it over on those rotations even when Brook isn't exactly capable of doing that.
1: I think that's a really good point. He for sure doesn't have the foot speed, like you said, but um that calming influence and that leadership influence in the locker room um is really gonna help out the our three main power forwards with uh Randall, Kuzma, and Nance. It's really nice for them to be able to uh focus on their game and uh do what they do best without having to uh feel the added pressure of not having, you know, a, a consistent consistent playmaking center there. So I think the addition is more about helping I guess both about um helping out those young guys as well as um Brooke contributing on the offensive end and being a dependable scorer for us.
0: Shifting back to D'Angelo Russell for just a little bit, where do you think the Lakers are going to miss D'Angelo the most this coming season?
1: For me, I think that probably miss him the most in terms of um, needing someone to go uh, one-on-one or in isolation, you know, when they really need to get a bucket. But at the same time, um, you know, we're already seeing uh, KCP and uh, Brandon Ingram kind of grow into that role. So they definitely won't miss him on the defensive end. But I think that, you know, Having a guy that can go out and score 20 to 25 points, um, not any given night, but many nights is uh, something they'll miss from the wing, especially with uh, Alonzo kind of struggling to find a shot for right now.
0: This is kind of ironic, given that his ability to score in and around the basket area has been one of D'Angelo's biggest issues as a young player, but I think the Lakers will miss his dribble penetration just because even though he's not exactly that accurate at the rim, he is a very crafty dribbler. And he does have that one-on-one scoring ability, as you mentioned. And we'll get to Lonzo Ball in more depth later. But I think one of the things that he's really struggled with so far this year has been getting to the rim and being a threat to score at the rim. And even though... D'Angelo isn't particularly great at that. He's certainly more capable of being a dribble penetrator than Kentavious Caldwell Pope. And it's early, but so far, Lonzo Ball has not looked as strong in that area as Russell has for the Nets.
1: Yeah, there were uh, moments in the um, Nets Lakers game the other night where um, you would see D'Angelo drive to the cup, you know, make a few nice plays, and those were some times where I was like, "Wow, you know, I I really do miss that um, as a Lakers fan." But like you said, he he does have one on one scoring ability, and I think that what's great for him is he'll be able to uh, flourish more so with that in uh, in Brooklyn, where much more of the offense um, runs through him, as opposed to uh, you know possibly with Lonzo Ball, if they would have been paired together, maybe he wouldn't have had as many one on one opportunities. So it might have been um, might have stunted his growth a little bit. You could argue. There's a flip side of that too, but. Um, it is nice to see him, you know, get the chance to flourish in, in Brooklyn with that one-on-one scoring ability, which is which is part of uh, part of what makes him great.
0: Let's move on to the other major move of their offseason, which was signing Cantavius Caldwell-Pope to a one-year, eighteen million-dollar contract. And if you heard Rob Palenka talk about that deal, you might think that Cantavius Caldwell-Pope was the next coming of Michael Jordan. But let's just say that I don't think he's quite there. But Caldwell Pope, I think, is a really great fit alongside Lonzo Ball. He's got a big enough frame to be able to capably cover point guards or shooting guards, and he's an excellent defensive player. And he's also a solid spot-up three-point shooter, even though that hasn't quite shown up early on in the season for the Lakers. His percentages weren't all that great in Detroit, but he was also taking a lot of heavily contested looks just because he was really the only three-point shooter they had but my question for Caldwell Pope is: Do you think he's going to remain a Laker long term?
1: When it comes to his long term future, if I if I had to say right now, I would probably say no, um, just because you know if he is going to command somewhere in the neighborhood of um, the seventeen million a year, if he were to command um, a salary in that range, I think the Lakers would be um, would be more willing to commit that to someone of an All Star or Superstar level. And um, I'm just not sure if they're going to have the salary cap to do that if they re-sign KCP to, you know, 15 a year or, or something like that. But um, I think you hit it right on the head with how he, how he fits well next to Lonzo. I think it, it is a really nice fit. So if he was a little bit cheaper, um, you know, I'd, maybe I'd be more willing to to say I, I like him as a long-term fit. But as of right now, I, I think it might be one and done for him.
0: I think the question with KCP is more rooted in who the Lakers are going to target In terms of free agents, I think a lot of the best free agent targets for the Lakers this summer would be big men with DeMarcus Cousins being at the very top of that list. And if you can hold off on Caldwell Pope, if the Lakers can maybe find a way to convince him to wait a little bit to see if they can get other superstar players, which granted they probably won't have to because now that Mitch Kupchak is gone, the Lakers are going to tamper with superstar free agents just like literally everybody else in the league. And I think that if the Lakers either get a star big man and have some money left over, or more to the point, if they strike out in free agency, I think it would be really helpful for them to bring KCP back. He's also still only 24. So he's potentially got some growth left in him. And if he can continue to develop his spot-up shooting and maybe add a little bit of dribbling ability to work as a secondary creator alongside Lonzo, I think he could be a really useful re-signing for them, especially if they strike out on some of the bigger names.
1: I agree. I think that it does um, does hinge on that for the most part. I think that it's a situation where uh, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka are probably, like you said, going to you know want to go for one of those big-name stars, whether it's a Paul George, DeMarcus Cousins, um, DeAndre Jordan, you know lebron james but uh he's definitely a great um backup plan um he's a great player in the or not a great player in the league but has the chance to be a great player in the league um at only 24 like you said there's a lot of room left to grow for him um, i'm just not sure if he's the type of player that is going to settle for less than um than what he can get on the free agent market i'm not sure if he'd want to come back to la and take a pay cut although i believe he does have Rich Paul as an agent, which is uh, the same one as LeBron James. So there's an interesting connection, you know, if that were to play out um, and he were willing to take a pay cut, that would certainly um, increase the likelihood of him coming back.
0: If I were the Lakers, I would also explore something like a two-year, $35 million deal for KCP. Just give the young players on the Lakers a little bit more time to develop and maybe look to make a bigger free agency splash sometime around 2020 when those superstar players can see more development out of Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. Let's talk quickly about the rest of Lakers offseason beyond the rookies, because we will go into much more depth on the rookies later in the podcast. They signed Andrew Bogut to a one-year veteran minimum deal. He's played in six games so far, but he's only played 43 total minutes is he just too much of a liability on the offensive end to earn playing time anymore? Because I would think that his defensive capabilities as a big guy who knows where to be and isn't quite as slow as Brook Lopez would still make him a valuable defender.
1: Yeah, initially I hated the signing of him, but um, I think it is a good point that he, uh, you know, he's a capable defender. At least has been um, at the war in the Warriors' championship run. Um, he really was, you know, I don't want to say enforcer, but he was um, a really nice defensive piece and fit in really well easily the most underrated contributor for them. But I'm just not sure if it's the right fit with the Lakers. um, You mentioned how he hasn't played very much per game so far. For me, I think that the uh, benefits he brings on the defensive end and things like that in our rotation aren't enough to outweigh the possible benefit of playing Zubac. Um, I'd much rather see Zubac get that playing time. Um, I don't really think that uh, Andrew Bogut belongs on a team that's uh, still building and still coming up. Like, for instance, I like when he signed with the Cavs last year. I thought that that was a nice nice addition there. But I, I really would much rather see Zubac at the playing time uh, for the Lakers.
0: Let's move now from the offseason overview into a quick review of the early season thus far. And I wanted to start out by talking about the starting lineup, which is currently in flux after Larry Nance fractured his left hand and had surgery on it. So Nance's injury allowed Cal Kuzma to find his way into the starting lineup. But do you think it's possible that the Lakers have reached a point where Kuzma's just going to stay in the starting lineup even after Nance returns?
1: I think that's very possible. It did surprise me for the most part that Nance was in the starting lineup to start the year. I think Julius Randle had a I believe it was something with his ribs where, you know, he was able to play through it, but um, he was somewhat limited in a way. It makes sense because maybe he didn't want to start Kuzma from the get-go, but um, you mentioned his production of late and since joining the starting lineup. Um, I mean, at this point, it's I thought this point was going to come later than sooner, but I think it came sooner than later. It's really hard to justify taking him out of the starting lineup, especially given the fact that he plays much better um, when on the court with Lonzo Ball as opposed to without Lonzo Ball.
0: I think, honestly that's the most important point with keeping Kuzma in the starting lineup going forward is just how well he plays alongside Lonzo Ball. And the more time that you can have the two of them on the court together, I think the better for the Lakers. I think that I would still rather have Nance in the starting lineup than Randall, just because they have about the same range on offense, just in terms of being able to space out to the three-point line. Neither Nance nor Randall has a three-point shot at this point. And I think Nance is also better on the defensive end than Randall. And given the rest of that starting lineup, I think that would be more important to have alongside those other pieces. But Kuzma has been much better on the defensive end than the average rookie. And unless he falls apart on that end of the floor, I think I would agree with you that the Lakers are best served by keeping him in the starting lineup over Nance long-term.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the benefit of having Julius randall on the bench as well is um he'll probably get, you know, some more usage. Um usage rate so far as indicating that. Generally, uh let's see, with uh with Lonzo off the court, he's actually got I think a twelve percent, um almost thirteen percent higher usage. And um he's a, a player that's gonna do um better with volume. So it, it does make sense. Um I think it was one of those things around the surface, you know, a lot of laker fans were upset, like, oh, you know, why starting Larry Nance? We have Randall, we have Kuzma. But um I don't think we need. I don't think those people need to be so quick to uh, to worry about that. I think that um, Nance or Kuzma, probably Kuzma, is the best option to start at power forward for now and moving forward.
0: And if you end up having Randall come off the bench along with Jordan Clarkson, you can basically take all of the bench shots and give them to those two guys. And Randall has been really efficient on the offensive end so far this season. Granted, it's early, but he's shooting sixty two percent from the floor and. If you can have Clarkson generate dribble penetration and then have Randall near the rim, that's a pretty solid offense for a bench. And ultimately, I think that you're right, that Randall is going to be a lot more useful if he can shoot the ball more often. And in the starting lineup, it's just not good for the Lakers to have him dominate the offense.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I think that uh, Randall and and Clarkson are a really nice uh, combo off the bench together. Um, They're both... The type of players that can, you know, thrive more without Lonzo, which isn't um, isn't to say they can't thrive with him, and isn't to say that it's um, Lonzo Ball's fault by any means, but um, they definitely both perform better when they can be the, you know, the focal point, which is what they can do on the second unit. Um, which honestly is something that the Lakers haven't really been, you know, haven't really been super effective with their second unit over the last uh, couple of years. There's been, you know, like a lot of players that didn't necessarily fit that well together. So um, if we can have, you know, the Kuzma and Lonzo pairing. Um, with the starters and then integrate Clarkson and Randall while still having a higher usage and not taking away from what they do best. Uh, I think that's probably a best of both worlds, despite many people um, clamoring for Randall to start.
0: All right, let's go into a more detailed look at the big man rotation, even though we've talked through a lot of the big man rotation points already. And you recently had an article up on the hashtag basketball website about the future of the Lakers front court, So all of you should check that out once you finish listening to this podcast. But I want to talk quickly about the center pairing in particular, because Brooke Lopez is the clear starter, but the Lakers really have not played... Any true centers, many minutes outside of Lopez. Zubats has played two minutes total so far this season. Bogut has played 43 minutes. And other than that, they've had a lot of time with either Larry Nance or Julius Randle effectively playing the center when Brooks sits. So do you think that is something that might change as the season goes on? Do you think Zubac might find more minutes as the season goes on?
1: Yeah, when you look at, um, The benefit that Zubak adds. I like that a lot. I don't think the Lakers necessarily want to, uh, would benefit very much at all from just letting him sit on the bench. I mean, it's not like his trade value is going to go through the roof, um, by doing that or anything. So I would like to see him play over Bogut. And then when we do, um, lineups that are, you know, maybe without a true center, um, I like those in, you know, like pace up settings, you know, like when the bench units are playing, maybe at the end of a quarter, you know, if we go like, uh, Kuzma and Randall or, you know, Randall and Nance or or something like that. But, um, I think that leaves us, you know, obviously extremely susceptible on the defensive end because, you know, it's not like our power forward is like a Porzingis or something that's moving the center and that can still block shots. I mean, Julius Randle and, uh, you know, Kuzma and Nance are all, you know, way too undersized to play center. So I like getting them on the court together, but I think in limited bursts and, um, you know, pace up situations, you know, maybe when you're playing a a smaller team like the Nets, uh, that definitely makes more sense to me.
0: And the Lakers have done a really impressive job, actually, of gang rebounding to start the season. But Nance is still the team's rebounding leader, and he'll be out for at least a month with this broken hand. So with that in mind, do you think it's possible that the Lakers will end up giving more minutes to either Bogut or Zubac just to get some rebounding on the floor? Because Bogut is still a really solid rebounder, and Zubac is also shown solid rebounding instinct at times.
1: Yeah, I do like the idea of that. You know, now that we have Bogut, I mean, we, we might as well use him a bit. I would rather see us roll out a traditional center more often than not and save the small ball lineup for, you know, like I said, you know, in pace-up situations. So if we're going to play um, Bogut a few minutes a game, you know, six to eight to 10, possibly even 12, depending on the situation, I think it does make sense because you don't want to have Lopez and, uh, well, Lopez isn't a great rebounder, but you don't want to have him leave the game and leave yourself even more susceptible to, um, giving up offensive boards, you know, especially when you play, um, some of these bigger teams in the West, you know, like a Pelicans unit or something like that. So I think we do need to take advantage of having, uh, Bogut and Zubac on the, on the roster because they can, they can, you know, maybe not for long stretches, but they can contribute, um, on the boards and, uh, you know, help take some pressure off our power forwards.
0: The thing about Brook Lopez is that his personal rebounding numbers have never been very good, but his teams consistently rebound better with him on the floor because he's very good at boxing out and he's a very large human being who takes up a lot of space on box outs. So that probably actually has been factoring into why their team rebounding has been so strong to start the year. But anyway, let's move on to the wing and guard rotation. And The biggest question outside of the starting lineup that I've had is whether Corey Brewer or Luol Dang is going to get those minutes at backup forward. And given recent discussions about how Dang appears to be agitating for a trade, and the fact that he started the first game of the season, played 13 minutes, and hasn't been seen or heard from since then, it seems unlikely that he's going to regain a major role with the team. But do you think that Corey Brewer getting minutes for this Lakers team going forward is going to be helpful, or do you think he's someone that should be relegated towards the end of the bench?
1: You know I'm not super against uh Corey Brewer getting minutes. I think that um there's definitely some games where i'm 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 watching and i I really noticed the you know the nice effort and hustle, especially on the defensive end initially going into the year i didn't think that he or Dang should really play, you know, more than a couple minutes, you know, if any per game, just because I figured, you know, we want to, um, get some more minutes to, uh, you know, Kuzma, whether it's at the three or the four, obviously Brandon Ingram's minutes are locked in. And then I didn't want, um, Nance or Randall or anything to, uh, to have to sacrifice playing time for those guys. But, um, I do like what I've seen from Brewer so far. I mean, I, I think that that energy and effort and hustle, um, can really rub off. On our wings, and he can be a, a high plus minus guy for the second unit, even if he's not, um, you know, filling up the, the stat sheet.
0: The issue I have with Brewer getting major minutes is I feel like every minute that Corey Brewer is on the floor is a minute that the Lakers would be better served by having either Josh Hart or Jordan Clarkson, if he's on the bench, on the floor. And Corey Brewer is a bad defensive player who's currently shooting 39 percent from the field and has missed every three-pointer he's taken so far this year. So while Brewer does definitely provide some energy that can be helpful for the second unit, I'm also not sure that it benefits the Lakers to give him playing time when they can instead distribute it among some of their younger players.
1: Yeah, very well said. Yeah, you, you alluded to Josh Hart. That was one player I didn't mention before. Um, they would more likely, you know, be ser- better served to um give Josh Hart those minutes. If there's going to be games where Brewer doesn't play at all, I'm definitely fine with that. If that means that Josh Hart is going to get some more PT, he's obviously, you know, still finding his way. Um, But, you know, coming out of Villanova, the guy was, you know, a national champion, successful player. He told ESPN Los Angeles that, you know, he, he prides himself on defense, which I really like to see. And um I think in the Pelicans game, he actually led us in plus minus rating with, um, I believe it was plus 21. So certainly, that sounds to me like a higher upside version of the minutes that Corey Brewer is bringing. Maybe Corey Brewer is better just served as a as a solid locker room guy, you know, to to play in blowouts, um, but definitely not definitely not too much.
0: Let's quickly talk about Jordan Clarkson before we move on to a more in depth discussion of the rookies. And Clarkson is currently averaging just over twenty minutes a game. Which might tick up with Larry Nance out of the rotation, but do you think Clarkson is playing too much? Do you think he's playing too little, or do you think somewhere around the twenty minutes per game range is the right amount for Clarkson?
1: I think it might be a little bit of a game to game thing, but I twenty minutes does seem a little bit too low. Sometimes when you see Tyler Ennis enter the game, you know I, I kind of wonder to myself, you know, why is he taking minutes away from Clarkson? Not that Tyler Ennis is a bad player or horrible or anything like that. I actually kind of like Tyler Ennis, but I, I don't think that uh, Clarkson needs to be uh, sacrificing minutes for him. When we see uh, Clarkson, you know, handle the ball and operate as the one on the second unit, you know, he's e- even more at his strength than operating at the two. So, you know, I'm actually a Mizzou fan as well. I've, I've followed Jordan Clarkson for a long time, watched him in college. Maybe that's a little little biased take of me, but I, w- I would like to see him play a few more minutes a game. I like the uh, the scoring that he can he can offer for the second unit.
0: All right, let's move on to talking about your most recent article on hashtag basketball.com, which was a Lakers rookie report. And I want to get started with the biggest rookie for the Lakers, both in terms of name recognition and in terms of role on the team. Number two overall pick Lonzo Ball, who on the one hand, has really energized the team. Their pace is third in the league right now, and they were a pretty quick team last season when they were sixth in the league in pace, but they're averaging significantly more possessions per game this year with Lonzo in the lineup. On the other hand, his shooting has just been abysmal so far, and there's a tough line to straddle between how much of his poor performance to start the year is that he's going to struggle to score at the NBA level and how much of it is just that he's been cold in the first 10 games of the season. But what are your thoughts on Lonzo so far this year?
1: I think that as expected, you know, people are being, you know, a little, little bit hard on him, I guess you could say, or um, a lot of the uh, media are holding him to such high expectations based on, you know, of course, everything that goes along with the ball family. But um, as far as Lonzo himself, I couldn't be more impressed with, you um, with his composure and how, how he handles himself. Um, he doesn't ever seem to get into any of the, uh, I guess, if you will, the extracurricular type, you know, statements and activities that, um, that LeVar Ball has, his father does. And I feel like he usually plays confident. He realizes, he realizes when he doesn't have the best game and, um, realizes what he needs to do to improve the next day. For instance, when they played at the Blazers, much was made of Lonzo, um, you know, not really doing so well, um, from a stat perspective, but, um, you know, you, you saw his basketball IQ as he, he actually had a, uh, the highest plus rating on the team that night, you know, because he's wasn't scoring, but was also not hurting the team in other ways. He actually played pretty, you know, pretty decent defense on Damian Lillard. You know, it's hard to play any defense on Damian Lillard with how, how potent of a scorer he is. But, um, for me so far, the highlight was obviously the Suns game, second career game in which he, uh, put up 29 points and nearly triple, doubled. But um, that was just kind of a perfect spot in a pace up game where the Suns were on the verge of, you know, the Eric Bledsoe crisis. So um, moving forward, he he definitely does need to develop more of a shot. But I think that that's something that'll come. It may not come this week, next week, or even this season. But once he does, you know, develop that shot, I think he will. Um, you know, you'll see him continue to improve, and he has a very good chance to end up being a star.
0: The reason that I think Lonzo will turn it around in terms of his shooting, at least to some extent is that he was an incredible spot-up shooter at UCLA. And it wasn't just that he was able to shoot from the college arc and can't shoot from the NBA arc, because he was often taking 30-footers and 35-footers and those kind of ridiculous shots back to his high school days. But it seems reasonable to expect that Lonzo would struggle with shooting off the dribble with the increased level of athleticism in the NBA. But... His spot-up shooting has been atrocious so far, and that in particular seems a lot more like bad luck to start the season than anything else because even if his shooting motion makes it tough to get his shot off when he's being tightly guarded, he should still be able to hit wide-open threes at a very decent clip. And so far this season, that has not come to pass.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting topic because um... – you know, as you said, at UCLA, he, he was, you know, completely fine at hitting spot-up shots. It wasn't really much of an issue. You know, I, I wonder if maybe just some of the pressure is just getting to him early on. You know, maybe not too much, but somewhat um, combined with, you know, just having somewhat of a cold start. I mean, it is the NBA, you know, you're going to have people that circle this game on the schedule and they, you know, think, well, you know, Lonzo Ball's not going to not gonna come out here and dominate me, you know. So he's facing, facing everyone's uh, top performance so far for the most part. But I think if he can maybe just work inside out a little bit and if we can set him up for you know a lot of you know given mid-range shots aren't always the most you know efficient but if we can set him up for you know for some nice 15 to you know to 18 foot jump shots and things like that um we could get him back in his rhythm more which you know would obviously lead to uh maybe some more consistent shooting and we could probably see him knock down more of those uh spot up shots but as far as off the dribble um, the release has always been the biggest concern to me with Lonzo—the shooting release. That is, um, it's certainly unorthodox, and I'm not saying that it should necessarily be changed, but um, it's something to consider. I guess I'm not sure how great it would be to change your shooting release in season, but um, you know, if we if we got through this whole season and it was uh, still apparent that the you know the off the dribble shots weren't falling or his percentage in general wasn't great, then you know that would continue to be a concern moving forward, and, and might be something to look at.
0: So moving on from the Laker drafted in the first round, who has been somewhat disappointing to the player who already looks like the steal of the draft. And if you talk to some people, has already been inducted into the Hall of Fame, Kyle Kuzma. And the thing about Kuzma that's surprised me the most thus far is how good he's been with a live dribble. He's a surprisingly good slash and kick type of player, especially for... A 6'9 stretch forward. And he's been decent from three point range. He's hitting 33% of his shots out there right now, but he's taking about four of them a game, which is really important for a spot up shooting big man. It's not just the rate at which you're knocking him down, but it's also helpful to be a threat to pull the trigger from out there just because defenses have to cover you. And Kuzma's hitting at a solid enough rate from out there to. Force defenses to cover him. But he's making 68.5% of his two-pointers so far this year. And I just don't see any way that he can keep that up because that's kind of an absurd number from two-point range. But his ability to score inside the arc, I think, has been the most surprising, especially since he was touted as more of a stretchy kind of big man.
1: Did you say 68% from two?
0: 68.5.
1: Yeah, that that definitely is um, really impressive. I, I thought that was... Um... You know, I, I didn't know that stat specifically, but I've I've definitely noticed that he's had a lot of success inside, um, with the dribble drive. I definitely um am most most pleased with how confident he looks um attacking the basket and coming off the dribble. He looks just as comfortable taking, you know, a kick out, spot up jumper or three as he does um driving to the hole. And um I think that he's really you know, he's he's playing free right now. Um he's not playing timid, um or, or anything like that. Um, and I think it's really, really crucial to have him on the court when Lonzo's on the court, because, um, you know, it's kind of like a Batman Robin effect, I guess, um, in terms of, uh, you know, L- Lonzo's, you know, not going to light it up scoring. And we really need, that, um, you know, his his super confident sidekick that um, can drive it or, you know, shoot it from long range. So that's, that's been the most um, pleasing thing to me so far watching Kyle Kuzma.
0: They also have just had remarkable chemistry for young players, even going all the way back to summer league. It seemed like Kuzma always knew where Lonzo was going to throw the ball, and Lonzo always knew when Kuzma was going to be able to leak out effectively and put the pass right on the money. And ultimately, that's going to be, I think, the most important relationship for the Lakers to develop this season, because... Kuzma might not have the superstar potential of Lonzo or Brandon Ingram, but as you said, the Batman Robin dynamic between the two of them is incredibly important and something that the Lakers need to make sure to nurture going forward. Let's move on to talking about Josh Hart really quickly. We touched on him earlier. But I think the most important part about Josh Hart so far has been, as you said, his commitment to the defensive end. The Lakers have a lot of guys who can score and a lot of guys who want to score. And with that in mind, if you're Josh Hart, just being able to play your role effectively and put in a lot of work on the defensive end, I think he could certainly be playing a larger role in the Lakers rotation towards the end of the season than he is now averaging a little under 14 minutes a game.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely think that you'll see his, um, his minutes per game increase as the season goes on. Like we kind of touched on earlier, I think that, um, this should probably come at the, you know, come at the expense of Corey Brewer as opposed to, you know, Clarkson or anything like that. And it, it is, as you alluded to as well, it is important for Josh Hart to, uh, Realize his role, you know, as as a defensive energy guy. You know, maybe an occasional knockdown shot, but he's definitely not going to be coming in on the second unit and being a, being a featured player or somebody that we you know rely on offensively for for high usage. But as long as he can, um, you know, for lack of a better term, stay in his lane and become a uh, you know a defensive energy guy, I think that um, he can earn those more minutes. He's already earned the praise of uh, of Luke Walton for that exact type of thing. So if he can continue that moving forward, then um, that's how he'll be most effective in his role.
0: And lastly, Thomas Bryant, who the Lakers took in the second round of the last draft. He hasn't played with the Lakers so far this season, and... Do you think he's just gonna spend most of the year in the D League slash G League, or do you think he might be able to work his way into some minutes towards the end of the season?
1: Um I think that maybe if an injury or two pops up he could work his way into some minutes. Um I think where he's at right now is fine because I I mean, if, if there is any young guy that I think should get, you know, the first shot at, at minutes as far as, you know, a, a big man um at the end of the rotation, I think it should be uh Zubac. So I'm not really worried about where Thomas Bryant is right now. I think that he's, you know, probably just a, a solid depth guy at this point. And, um, you know, if he does, you know, show big improvements moving forward, I think that, you know, there's a path to playing time for him. But I don't think that the Lakers organization is necessarily super high on on him or, or you know, going out of their way to create a situation in which he can get more minutes. But, you know, that could always change if we have like a, a bogus injury or, you know, something along those lines.
0: All right, before we wrap up, let's do a quick future outlook on the Lakers, starting with this season. The Lakers are currently 5-5 five and five and 8th in the Western Conference. On the other hand, they started last year 10-10 and 10 and finished the year 16-46. and 46. So with those two things in mind, where do you think the Lakers will end up in the Western Conference standings this season?
1: I mean, obviously it is early, but I think that they should uh, hover around the eight to nine range. Um, as far as seeding, obviously they're going to control their own destiny and it's going to be up to them if they can, um, not, you know, not repeat what happened last year where, like you said, they started 10 and 10, and then I think they lost their, their next eight consecutively, you know, on their way to finishing, you know, very, very poorly. But, um, obviously they're going to be competing with teams, you know, like the, um, teams that are around them right now, you know, the Jazz, Pelicans, Nuggets. And, um, push come to shove. I think those teams, you know, have a better roster at this point or more stars at least when you talk about the Pelicans. So it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. But I think that if we continue to see, um, Brandon Ingram grow, um, Kyle Kuzma operate as he is now. And if you can see Lonzo ball develop more of a shot and team chemistry, you know, continue to be on the up and up, I think that they have do have at least, you know, somewhat of a reasonable shot to sneak in as the, the eighth or seventh seed. But, um, Certainly the Western Conferences as loaded as always. There's really only Phoenix, Sacramento, and Dallas that look absolutely terrible. And then everybody else, you know, realistically does have a shot to make the playoffs at this point. So it's gonna to be tough for them too. But I think they have, you know, somewhat somewhat of a chance to sneak in the back end of the playoffs.
0: So I definitely agree with you that the Lakers are a tier above Phoenix, Sacramento, and Dallas for the bottom of the West. But the Lakers might technically be in eighth in the conference right now, but they're in a four-way tie with Utah, New Orleans, and Denver. And I think the Lakers will finish the season with the worst record among those four teams. It's also a little bit strange where the Lakers are in the standings right now because the Thunder have the third best net rating in basketball, but they're four and five right now because they've lost a bunch of close games. So... Ultimately, I think the Lakers should focus more on giving as many minutes as possible to their young players and letting them play through their mistakes and finishing the year around the 11 12 range in the Western Conference than trying to gear up for a playoff berth and, you know, maybe play their veterans too many minutes towards the end of the season at the expense of their young guys. I also just don't think that they're in the same. Tier as the teams that are currently around them in the standings. That being said, injuries can happen. And if the Lakers get a couple of lucky injury breaks from other teams in the West, I think it's possible that they sneak into that eighth seed. But I just have a lot more confidence in the other teams around them at this point.
1: Yeah, I I think that's well said. Um, Yeah, I I don't want to overstate the Lakers' playoff chances. I mean, they're not super high or anything like that. But um, over the course of the season, Um, the Pelicans, Nuggets, Thunder, you know, Jazz. Well, maybe not the Jazz quite as much, but, um, those other teams definitely, um, seem more dependable and more likely to figure it out and, um, finish higher in the standings than the Lakers. I also think, um, you hit on another important note with, um, not overplaying veterans or anything like that. That was part of the reason that Andrew Bogut signing was, you know, kind of so-so to me at best because, you know, that's, it's when Cleveland added him last year, it was like, you know, okay, we're adding one more big guy for the, for the playoff push. He's going to, you know, play just a little bit. You know, we want that extra veteran presence because, you know, we're a championship type team. And, you know, but with the Lakers, I mean, I mean, there's no way to, to, to say that he isn't blocking, you know, Zubat from playing. So I think that those were the most, uh, the most important points, um, for the Lakers moving forward in the standings is they shouldn't, um, sacrifice their younger players or anything. Like that, at the expense of trying to move up in the standings, but um, they do also need to make sure that they don't fall into any like big eight-game losing streaks or anything like that. Like last year, you know, it's important to uh, over an eighty-two-game season to really stay consistent, and um, that's really important for the younger players. So I'm excited to see if they can if they can do that.
0: And speaking of staying consistent, let's move on to the way in which the team would, by necessity, be the least consistent, namely the trading block. The Lakers, I think, have a bit of a logjam at power forward, and they certainly should be listening to offers for basically everybody on the team outside of Ingram, Ball, and Kuzma, at least in my opinion. But who do you think is most likely to be the odd man out, both in terms of the power forward rotation specifically and in terms of the team in general?
1: Yeah, so looking at the power forwards. I think that Julius Randle is probably the most likely to be the, the odd man out, um, in terms of the, the trading block or, you know, maybe in free agency next year. His style, as we alluded to, um, for this current Laker team is maybe best on the bench with Clarkson as a, as a nice one, two punch there, um, with more usage. He's also, um, probably going to command, you know, 15 to 20 million a year. Um, that's a kind of a vague estimate, but I'm not sure if that's the best way the Lakers can really spend their money, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, maybe possibly signing a superstar for only a few million more than that. I mean, the gap between, you know, a Paul, a Paul George and uh, Julius Randall is pretty big. So I think that if he's going to command, you know, that much money, it doesn't make sense to uh, to sacrifice your ability to sign Paul George or, or, you know, somebody like that, DeMarcus Cousins, or, you know, completely hypothetical, whoever it may be. But um, you also look at the organization being so high on Kyle Kuzma um, so he's certainly not going to be the odd man out. I think he's, you know, borderline untouchable already. And then Nance, um, I think could go either way. I think that if he continues to be a reasonable bargain, um, you know, sure, you know, there's no reason to, you know, go out of your way to get rid of him. But, um, at the same time, if we were to possibly trade for a superstar and what was preventing the trade from getting done or not getting done was they wanted us to include Larry Nance. Um, I don't think we should balk at that. I think that you know, if we had to, then it would definitely be appropriate to get rid of him. Um, Basically, as long as they don't get rid of Kuzma, because he should be untouchable with, uh, with Ingram and Lonzo, just because their potential is just so high, and they're so young.
0: So just as a thought experiment, I wanted to look ahead to the year 2020 and see what the Lakers might look like then. And I can say with quite a high degree of confidence that Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Kyle Kuzma will all still be on the team at that point. But beyond that, I think this roster really is in flux. And you have some really talented players hitting the free agency market this coming offseason, and a slightly less impressive crop in 2019, but still some star players if the Lakers can work their way into some cap space. So... Let's start with this offseason and the obvious answer for this would be LeBron James, but barring LeBron, who do you think the Lakers' primary target should be this offseason?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. The LeBron conversation just a, a whole other thing. But um, Paul George um, is obviously somebody that's been you know it's been well documented that he uh, would like to be on the you know would like to be a Laker. Um, of course, there was, you know, the whole tampering issue and everything with that, which, you know, like you said earlier, all teams do pretty much. So I think that that would, you know, be an obvious option. But for me, I think that that option's more about, um, you know, is a solid fit, but, um, also more so about, you know, we have the opportunity to, to likely get him. Whereas, um, I might be more inclined to say that Demarcus Cousins or maybe DeAndre Jordan would possibly even be a better fit. If you look at um, if you just assume Brooke Lopez is one and done, um, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But if you just assume he is having, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, I'm somebody that I'm, you know, the attitude issues are what they are. I'm willing to overlook that just because this is just an all world talent. And if you were to bring him in, um, he's just going to dominate the middle. You're going to have um, Kuzma um, just, you know, basically roaming free. You're going to just increase, you know, increase what he brings to the table. And then it doesn't, by any means, hinder Brandon Ingram or Lonzo Ball, and actually would help out Lonzo Ball immensely, and probably Ingram too, take some pressure off him, and then give Lonzo Ball someone to, uh, you know, to consistently feed. I think that would just be a highlight reel over and over of, you know, of Lonzo connecting with with those young guys. Even DeAndre Jordan wouldn't be a bad consolation prize. Of course, he's not somebody that you're going to throw to in the post and watch him, you know, go to work like his teammate Blake Griffin is, but. When you look at all the blocks and rebounds and, you know, just that commanding defensive presence in the middle, I mean that's that's absolutely great for a young team to to have that. And then you can still have, you know, Ingram and and Kuzma operating as scores and uh Lonzo developing more. So the so Boogie and uh Boogie Cousins and DeAndre Jordan are really the ones that stand out to me the most, but I think it's probably still most likely that Paul George is the main Laker target and in a perfect world, obviously, we bring in both, you know, George and one of them or Braun and one of them, but it remains to be seen. There's a lot of different ways we could go depending on if we let Lopez and KCP go and what uh, Magic and Rob wanted.
0: After Paul George was traded to the Thunder, I really stopped believing as heavily in the Paul George to the Lakers stories as I had before. And first of all, Paul George has said that he actually grew up a Clippers fan. But the thing about Paul George is that the one thing that he said over and over and over and over again is that all he wants to do is win. And the reason he wanted to leave Indiana is because he saw a franchise that was on the decline and all the star players that had previously surrounded him had moved on to other teams and they looked to be in for a rebuilding stretch. That's not the case with the Thunder. And now that Russell Westbrook has signed his... Five year Mega Max extension, you know that that team is going to be pretty good for at least the next three or four years. But I think that Paul George shouldn't be the primary target because I think that DeMarcus Cousins should be the primary target. And as someone who's been a Kings fan for quite a while now, I can assure you that a lot of the attitude issues with Cousins were due to the fact that he's an incredibly competitive player on an incredibly not competitive team. And his stats this year have just been absolutely ridiculous. And ultimately, I think that DeMarcus Cousins would be just such a great fit alongside this young Lakers core. He's subtly one of the best passing big men in the league. He can stretch out to three-point range now, and his defense is really good when he tries, which he's started to do a lot more of in New Orleans than he had been before. The Lakers are currently 26th in three-point attempts and 29th in three-point percentage, even with a solid three-point shooting center in Brook Lopez. And while part of that is due to Lonzo's poor start from long range, I think it's really important for the spacing of this Lakers offense to have two big men who can either dive to the rim or space out beyond the three-point arc and the chemistry that I could see developing between Boogie Cousins and Lonzo Ball would just be deadly and if we're looking ahead to 2020 if the Lakers can get DeMarcus Cousins this offseason and then give him a couple years to develop alongside the young players that core of the Lakers could be really dangerous in a couple of years and maybe the Lakers are best suited to just make a big splash on one free agent this offseason integrate them with their core of young players and then either next offseason or the offseason after that look to make a really big splash in free agency
1: yeah I agree I think um I think that the more I think about it um I would honestly you know vault the Marcus Cousins up towards um the top of the want list at least for me um, I think that he and Kuzma would just be deadly together. Um, he and Lonzo would be absolutely deadly together. So I don't view Brooke Lopez as, you know, a long-term piece. I think he is what he is, which is an, a very effective and good player for now. Um, I don't think we should just, you know, chip him off, you know, just because. But, you know, if it means not re-signing him to be able to get Boogie Cousins, I mean, that's a home run in my eyes. And that's the type of superstar move that, that the Lakers have really been waiting to make. So... That would probably be my most, my most ideal, uh, move there. Um, and I think you're right about Paul George, um, not being a lock by any means. I think that he's going to continue to develop great chemistry with Russell Westbrook over there. And especially with that extension that Westbrook signed, I mean, there is definitely incentive and reason for, for George to, to stay there and he could easily fall in love with the, uh, the loyal and faithful Oklahoma City crowd. So remains to be seen on that end.
0: All right. Anything else before we wrap up?
1: Um, no, I think we should be good. Everything was uh, was great. I appreciate you having me. It's always, always good to talk some Lakers basketball.
0: All right. And thanks again for coming on. He is Nathan Smith. You can find his work on the hashtag basketball website. You can also follow him on Twitter at Nathan triple underscore Smith. You can also find my work on the hashtag basketball website. And you can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave ratings and reviews on whatever podcast player you might be using. It's really helpful to us in terms of spreading the word. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or via email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.